Okay. I used to think that when it said the kingdom of God. <laughs> um, I used to think that when it, when it said the kingdom of God, that it was referring to heaven. But it's not referring to heaven as a location. The kingdom of God is, is an economy. Um, the kingdom of God is something that can be manifested on earth. Okay. Um, the, when it, here's how you know when Jesus is referring to heaven as a location or, or, or if Jesus is referring to heaven as a manifestation on earth or as a, as a system. Okay. When he says heaven, not kingdom of heaven, when he's referring exclusively to heaven, that's how you know he's talking about the actual location. But if it says kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, what he's referring to is a system on earth. This is why he says, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what he's referring to when, when he refers to the kingdom of God. So when, I, when we're going to be speaking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, I'm not talking about heaven as a location. That's where God resides in the eternal state. Okay, so um, <clears throat> we're a part of a kingdom. We are soldiers, a part of a kingdom. Let me let me say this: not every Christian is a soldier, but every soldier in the army of God is a Christian. <clears throat> Why I can say that is because the Bible says that <clears throat> that. Um, the hard in First Timothy, when Paul is writing Timothy, he says a hardworking farmer is is worthy of his wages. He says soldiers don't get entangled with civilian affairs. And why he's saying that to Timothy is because Timothy is a minister. Timothy is not just an average Christian. Timothy was actually an apostle who was doing the work of an evangelist. And that's why Paul writes and says, do the work of an evangelist. Paul writes, Timothy says, you're a son in the faith. And so <clears throat> we see that ministers are soldiers. Now, you, for example, let me drive this analogy further at home. Um, every soldier, I'm going to just use America. Every soldier is an American citizen. Every soldier is an American citizen that's from America. But not every American citizen is a soldier. So in the same way, <clears throat> every Christian is a part of the kingdom of God. But not every Christian that's a part of the kingdom of God is a soldier. And this is exactly why, again, Paul says, don't get entangled with civilian affairs. There are certain things that the Levites could not do that all of Israel was able to do. Right, they had to reside in the temple. They couldn't partake of certain things. They couldn't uh, do certain things that all of the rest of of ethnic Israel was able to do. So, as as ministers of the gospel, that's a part of the kingdom of God. We will have to live more of a restricted life than the average. That means we we are going to have to be praying more. We will have to be studying more. 
We will have to be walking by faith more. This is why Jesus says to Peter, he says, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. But now that you're older, and he wasn't talking about the transition from a worldly life to a godly life, because Peter was always godly and had an understanding of the Torah and had a reverence for God, but he was used to fishing. But Jesus says, now I'm, I'm teaching you to be a fisher of men, right? Fishing, there's nothing evil. In fact, it might be very relaxing, but you can't do that anymore. You're going to have to fish for men. Right? So that that's your aim. That is your goal. And it's it's a lie. Um, and I, I understand that it's well intended. It comes from a sincere heart, but it is a lie to say that every Christian is a soul winner. They're not a soul winner. This is why no matter how much you preach to them until they're blue in the face, you're not gonna see them. Oh hold on. <clears throat> Can you guys hear me now? I I know my it said that my uh yeah, it's pretty bad. I thought that it was only my uh, Okay. Um, is it still bad? Is it is, is it still interrupting? <clears throat> um, so not every believer is a soul winner. And, and, that, and that's why no matter how much you s- preach to them until they're blue in the face, they're never going to win a soul. And the reason why is not because they don't care whether or not people go to hell, but they don't have the grace. They don't have grace to be able to win souls. <clears throat> that's why Paul said, I labored more than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God. Okay? Um you can't you can't uh shame someone for not planting a church if they're not a church planter by God. It's something they are called to, something they're graced for. And uh you can't shame a man who can't um destroy an entire army of Philistines unless you're graced as a Samson, right? And so everyone has their unique <clears throat> sections of grace. You have to, and and the reason why I'm speaking specifically to us about soul winning is because the both of you are are soul winners, and you're graced for it, even though you may not necessarily see the fruits of it just yet. For the same reason David was anointed as a king, but did he immediately step into his kingship overnight? No. He didn't step into kingship overnight. It was a period of years until he finally was able to live out what was true, uh, live out that anointing. Okay? And so... I'm just reading the book of Samuel and he's talking about this and I was wondering... Yeah, so David did, like you were saying, have a difficult life. And there was a lot of trials... And there was a lot of education. It began with the bear, then the lion, then Goliath, and then finally um, trusting in the Lord to enable him to escape from the hands of Saul. Time and time again. Right? So, (coughs) the Lord was with David. 
Or if we look at Abraham, the promise was unto Abraham, but he didn't have the promise that the Lord had given him overnight. There was a period of years until that promise had come to fruition and finally springed forth as fruit. And this is way that God exercises our faith so that we can continue to trust in Him no matter what our eyes are seeing or not seeing. Right? So I want that to be an encouragement because you might say, well, I haven't won a, a soul. I haven't brought anyone into the kingdom or I... I am aware of my own limitations. But look at all throughout the, re- the, the survey, all the saints, and you see um, Jeremiah said, I am but a boy. How am I going to be a prophet to the nations? Or if, I, or if you look at Moses, he says, I don't know how to speak well. I'm not eloquent. If you look at Gideon, he says, I am the least of my clan. The Lord the Bible says it doesn't not in 1 Corinthians. Not many of you were wise or noble, but the Lord has chosen the shameful things of the world to confound the wise. Right? So the Lord selects those who have normally low view of themselves in certain areas. So when God enables you to excel and to, to be fruitful in that area, you know that it's not from you. It's from God. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. It, it, <clears throat> now, with that said, soul winning, see, evangelists are campaigners for the kingdom. Now, the, the Greek word euangelion means um, good news. Euangelizo is the verb form of that, and it means I announce good news, or I announce the gospel. Now, an evangelist is one who announces good news. They they have the grace to... They have have, um, a big mouth for for their grace. (laughs) So, I say that because uh, (laughs) um, I say that because I don't know if you guys have ever seen in movies like here in America, like maybe like in the 50s, like those old American movies where there's a guy with a little boy with a like little hat. He goes extra, 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 extra. And he has like a newspaper, extra. Well, that's kind of like what an evangelist is. Extra, 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 right? <laughs> Her- extra, extra tracks, extra Jesus, right? <clears throat> but you want to get the message out. And there, there is a grace to publish it. There is a grace to pr- broadcast. Now, you, we've heard that term before, broadcast, or like broadcasting network or, um, you know, what, what does it mean? It's a farming term and it means that you cast seed broadly. 
In other words, it's not restricted to a small location, but you get seed out everywhere. There's a broad cast. I'm casting very broadly. A seed sower, right? Now, <clears throat> this is so important because the, the, the grace of an evangelist is, is so needed that without it, there would be no advancement of the kingdom. You, you, you can have a widespread of the gospel without pastors. But you can't have it without evangelists. Right? You have to have evangelists stationed. And it seems as if, and this is just my observation, I think there's a lot of evangelists who have disobeyed God and wanted to be pastors because it's easier. Well, I just get to stay... I get this night air-conditioned um, church over a pulpit. I get to relax at home, do my little sermon prep, and I get. To, and I'm not minimizing the office of a pastor because they're needed, obviously. Otherwise, God wouldn't give them to the church. But my point, though, is that in my observation, I've seen a lot of people that I knew were evangelists, but have disobeyed the Lord and said, I'm just going to pastor instead because, you know, I don't want to confront devils. I don't want to confront people who will treat my message with anger or, you know, I don't want riot or revival. I just, I want to <clears throat> be applauded by the, the, the hands of those whom I'm shepherding. And, you know, but that becomes a very big disservice to the church. Now, um, what I want to say from this point forward, and we're going to get into some scripture now. Evangelism is necessary to advance the kingdom, to expand it. And as we will see, this is God's intention. This is God's intention to expand the kingdom. But before we expand the kingdom, something has to happen. Before we establish kingdom there has to be a destruction of a kingdom but this kingdom is the kingdom of darkness not the kingdom of light in order for us to advance the kingdom of light that means we must destroy the kingdom of darkness and that's precisely what evangelists are set to do is to uproot to tear down the kingdom of darkness where it exists it is evangelism is is ministry in the trenches and for those uh, if you don't know what trenches are they're kind of like those you know in war they're like these um because they're here's you have the level field where everybody's on the ground field but they dig like a cavern like this they dig out all that dirt so they can station themselves in this little loop and and camp out like that in the front and shoot in the trenches. That's what it is. And that's the most dangerous. Right? It's it's probably a lot easier to hang out and just snipe at like a mile away. But in the trenches, that's where most of the bloodshed occurs. Right? It's basically warring, um, you know, right on the front lines. Okay? And so the front lines is necessary to destroy the kingdom of darkness. Now, if we turn to Haggai, 
I'm wondering if some of you are probably like, well, Haggai, what Bible are you reading? Because that's not a familiar passage of Scripture. I mean, it's not a familiar book that people have, uh, would normally turn to. Um, right? Not common for you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Well, it's actually not common for uh, much of the church. Um, but it's Haggai chapter 2. Two, verse twenty-one. Uh, twenty. Uh, Haggai chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-two. <clears throat> and the word of the Lord reads: Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses, and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. So once again, you see that the Lord shakes the heavens and the earth. And the Lord will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. Amen. What are those foreign kingdoms? Those foreign kingdoms are the kingdoms of darkness. And the Lord says, I'm going to shake them. So that that which cannot be shaken will remain. Now, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 2. Verses uh, verse 44. Chapter 2 verse 44. In the book of Daniel. <clears throat> and as you know, this is a ap- apocalyptic and historical book. It's historical because it tells of the Babylonian Empire, the history of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and and um, and his son who pre- uh, preceded him. But it is also apocalyptic in nature. Apocalyptic it comes from the word apocalypsis in the Greek, and it means mystery. Um, no, I believe it, no, revelation, I think it means. Mysterion is the word for mystery. Apocalypsis, I believe it means revelation. Uh, But nonetheless, it's prophetic. And that's what I basically mean by apocalyptic in nature. But Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, the word of the Lord reads, In the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another uh, be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Amen. <clears throat> so the Lord intends on or well, the Lord has already set up a kingdom. Not will, he has set up a kingdom. And it is our objective to then expand this kingdom to regions where the kingdom of darkness exists. So it's not just castles or buildings or infrastructures that indicate a kingdom. 
A kingdom is a system. That is what a kingdom ultimately is. A kingdom is ultimately a system. Because before there ever were castles or infrastructures or buildings, there was a community of people that was necessary, that had the same mindset and the same goal like those of the Tower of Babel who were operating as a system. And systems are made up of values, it is made up of ethics, it's made up of philosophy, and a a community of people that are functioning for for the end goal of that system. Okay, so God wants us to dismantle, wants us to abolish the kingdoms of this world. The way that I would describe it is as a chicken that has its head cut off. It is, the body is still moving. Because the ultimate blow has been brought to it already through Jesus and the cross. That's why the Bible says, if I'm not mistaken, in Colossians, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross. Right? In fact, let me... Let me turn there real quickly, if I can recall the chapter. Um, Maybe someone can help me find it. Uh, So it says, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken away, nailing it to the cross. In verse 15, like you said, it says, uh, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, who are the powers and authorities? It's demons. Authorities are of a higher rank than powers. First you have principalities, then you have authorities, then you have powers and you have forces. Principalities are the highest. We see this in the book of Daniel, right? Where it says the prince of Persia withstood Michael the archangel or Michael or Gabriel, one of the two. Then you have authorities. Now let me just break this down to you real quickly. Principalities are the, the, complete, the chief hierarchy, that that they are the highest hierarchy. Then from there you have authorities, and authorities are, for example, like police officers or FBI. They're not the highest, but they have authority to enforce. But below that you have powers. They're not the authorities, but they have power nevertheless to 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 in to uh, carry out the dirty work of the authorities, right? That's why you know the Roman centurion says, "I am a man of under authority." Roman centurion centurion is a it comes from the word hundred. So they had a hundred men under them, but a centurion was under a man of a thousand, right? So th- there was a man who had a thousand uh, soldiers, and then a centurion had a hundred. But a centurion understood that there were people under him. He was an authority. And the people under him were the powers that would enforce, would, would carry out whatever that authority had 
decided for them to accomplish, right? So you have, again, principalities, you have authorities, you have powers, and then you have forces, okay? And so Jesus, it, uh, the, Paul is saying that Jesus disarmed powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the ultimate blow, ha the ultimate injury has been brought to the kingdom of darkness. But this is why the writer of Hebrews says this, all things have been placed underneath his feet, his being Jesus, but we do not yet see all things placed underneath his feet. Um... Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 I, I'm, I would have to refresh my memory on what exactly that passage is um, yes yes far above all rule and authority power and dominion every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come yes that's, that's a good observation you made sis um, that's where the old age and the new age and, and um, but yes, yeah, so my point though is this, Haggai and Daniel speaks of a, of a kingdom that was to be set up <clears throat> and that God was to shake kingdoms and God has shaken those kingdoms. God has established his eternal kingdom and the ultimate blow has been brought to the kingdom of darkness and it was through the cross, but we are extensions of Christ, legal representatives. We are ambassadors of Christ seeking to bring. There's this quote that says, may the Lamb of God have the full rewards of his sufferings. The sufferings being the cross. He suffered and not in vain. His suffering was not only to bring forgiveness to humanity, but was also to usher in his kingdom. And so, Ushering in his kingdom means that we will see a greater manifestation globally of this kingdom, right? That's what it means. And so it isn't until we see that, that Jesus, Jesus will not have the full rewards of his suffering until there is a global glory of God. There is a there is an evangelization of the entire globe. That's how we dismantle the kingdoms of darkness and, and we establish the kingdom of light. This is hand-to-hand hand, uh, uh, hand -hand combat. Okay? Now let me, let me ask that you turn to Habakkuk, another obscure book. It kind of sounds like he backslid. Habakkuk, his back aches. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. It, it's pretty difficult to find, to be honest. Um, oh. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled 
with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now the waters of the sea is abundant, right? The waters of the seas are vast. But now the Bible is saying that as, as the waters cover the sea, in that same fashion shall the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth. This is a prophecy. Habakkuk was a prophet. And it's and and the Bible's and let me let me turn to Isaiah chapter eleven verse nine, because the Bible says the testimony is established under two or three witnesses, so that you know that this is not foreign or this is just well that I don't know what to do with that one single verse, but you're not going to find that anywhere else in the Bible. No, that's not what this sort of verse is. Isaiah chapter eleven verse nine, the word of the Lord reads. Um, Oh, yeah, 11 verse 9. Um, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see that? And let me, let me further drive this at home to give you a clearer picture of what that actually looks like. If you turn to Psalm chapter 2, Uh, Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Psalms chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And this is the same psalm that Peter quotes um, in the book of Acts when referencing the Lord. He says, Why did the heathens rage and the, the people plot a vain thing? For the Lord in heaven shall laugh and have them in derision. But it says in verse 6, so, so this is obviously, and the reason why I quote Peter from the book of Acts is because um, he's citing this passage as a messianic psalm. In other words, a psalm that describes the messianic reign, the reign of the Messiah. Right? So, verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion. Who's the king? Jesus. My holy mountain, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Oh, Masonic. No, Messianic. <laughs> Not Masonic. That's, that's what, what the world wants, but that's, this, this is the goal. The Messianic and yeah, all the Masonic. Yeah, we have to destroy the Masonic reign. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we see here very clearly that Jesus is stationed as a king on Mount Zion. But do you know what Mount Zion... Mount Zion... Ugh. Mount Zion is is not referring to an earthly Zion. The Bible says that in Galatians that uh, that there is a Jerusalem from above. It says, "Who is the mother of us all?" 
That's what it says in Galatians. He says, we are not, he says, Hagar corresponds to Sinai, which he says is bondage and is present day Jerusalem. He says, but we are of Sarah, who corresponds to a heavenly Jerusalem, who is the mother of us all, which corresponds to liberty. So in other words, we're not looking for an earthly Zion. We're of a heavenly Zion. Jesus is of a heavenly Zion. And we read this in the later book of the book of Hebrews. It says that we are not of a kingdom that can be shaken. This is why Abraham said he sought for a kingdom and country whose builder and maker was God. He says if he sought for an earthly kingdom, he said he, the writer of Hebrews says he could have returned from whence he came. But he sought for eternal dwellings. That's what he sought for. And that is the eternal dwelling Christ resides in and whom we are partakers of. So Jesus is stationed in a heavenly mountain. It says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the, the nations your inheritance. So the earthly, and it says, now it says the ends of the earth your possession. So we know at this point he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the kingdoms of this earth. He's talking about the earth as his possession. Prior, see what happened was Adam had the earth as his possession. That's why the Lord in the garden said, take dominion. But when he sinned, he forfeited that dominion to the devil. And we've seen that before Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, it was the devil's power to be able to give the kingdom to whom it, uh, to, to whomsoever. And this is why he says to Jesus, all these will I give you if you would bow down and worship me. Right? So, but the ends of the earth has been given to Jesus by the Father. He is the second man, Adam, that restored what was stolen from the first Adam. Because it was Adam's to begin with. That's why the Lord said in the garden, uh, He says, Take dominion of the earth and be fruitful and multiply. But the day he sinned, he forfeited it to the devil. But the second man, Adam, stole the keys. Not stole the keys. He rightfully took the keys that belonged to him at his death and his resurrection. Let me go to one more psalm to just further solidify this, this point and drive it at home. Psalm 22 Verses 27 through 29. Psalm chapter 22, verses 27 through 29. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. How much of the earth? All the ends of the earth. So this means that from a perspective of the Jew, the ends of the earth meant beyond the coasts of 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 Israel. So in other words, the, the nations of the Gentiles too. The ends of the earth. That means all of it in, in totality. All of the ends all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, 
For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. So we see yet again in Isaiah, Habakkuk, and two separate Psalms, that the knowledge of God shall cover the earth. And it's through this knowledge of the glory of God that covers the earth as vast as the waters cover the sea is the way through which the kingdom of God is advanced. And it will advance because the earth belongs to the Lord. The earth belongs to the Lord. He has dominion over the earth. And he is intending for his kingdom to expand globally. There are still tribes that have not heard of the gospel. And even for those who have heard of the gospel, it is nevertheless um, the case that there are still systems that have not been brought into submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So where there is radical Islam, that is not the will of God. The will of God is for us to rule and to reign over the Islamics. To rule and to reign with Christ over every false system. Every false system. And and to demolish the works of the devil. Is this not the reason for why Jesus came? It says Jesus came so that he may destroy the works of the devil. Does it not say that in 1 John? It says that in Hebrew chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken. It says, For this reason was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So is Islam the works of the devil? Is masonry the works of the devil? So guess what? Jesus wants to destroy it. Does it not say in Psalms that he will, uh, Psalm 20, uh, Psalm 2, that he will dash them with a rod of iron? So therefore, you rulers of the earth, be warned. Serve the Lord with trembling, lest you perish in the way. So what does that say? That every system that refuses to worship the Lord, they will be dashed to pieces by the Lord's rod of iron. If they don't serve him in trembling. Jesus is not going to wink at sin forever. He's going to depose every wicked tyrant. And we are going to continue to see his glory cover the land as the waters cover the sea. Okay, so now we have an option. We can close our eyes, put our heads in the sand and say, No, um, I'm just hanging on for dear life. And basically, we forfeit everything to the devil. And we say, you know, Satan, um, just here, you can have this. You can have all of this. It doesn't matter if communism reigns. It doesn't matter if abortion is still here. It doesn't matter if Islam still slaughtering so many of our people. And we're just going to take it. Or we're going to be rise, or we're going to rise up as soldiers as the Lord intends for us, and to begin to snuff out every wicked system and dispel it by light. 
For the Bible says that darkness cannot comprehend, nor master, nor conquer the light. Right? We are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We don't place a basket under it. Let me ask you guys this. Are we placing a basket over our light? Because darkness will only exist where the light is not present. Right? So, let me, let me show you how exactly the knowledge of God expands and the glory of God covers the, the earth and how the reign of Jesus, how his kingdom and dominion begins to progress. Uh, let, me, let me actually, real quickly, um, I'm going to look for a verse. Uh. Look, this is the, I'm gonna read. You don't have to turn there, <clears throat> but I'm gonna read Matthew chapter thirteen, verses thirty-one and thirty-two. He presented another parable to them saying the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Do you, do you see that? So this is how the kingdom functions. It begins like a small mustard seed. But then what did Jesus say? There is slow growth. But that slow growth, it says, while it is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So it is, is Islam global? Is America global? Is Europe global? No. The kingdom of heaven is the only one that is larger than all the kingdoms. And it needs to continue to expand and continue to grow. While the, the kingdoms of this world are trying to seek globalization and a one world, you know, everything. Jesus, it won't succeed because Jesus is the ruler of everything. And he is expanding his kingdom. And it is alone the largest kingdom. And so when it talks about the branches. Let, let, me, let, me, show you, let me show you one other verse. <clears throat> See this is prophetic. If you want to turn to Matt, uh, Daniel chapter 4. Verses 22 through 30. Babe, uh, could you uh, get this uh, chapter and verse for me? Uh, the Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. Because I want to reference back to it while, while we go to Daniel. I put it there in the chat. 
<clears throat> so Daniel chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. See, we're, we're, we're laying a lot of groundwork here. This is very... Um, foundational and this teaching is going to be very thorough as you see once again Daniel chapter 4 verses 22 through 30 king which Daniel is referring to Nebuchadnezzar you are that tree you have become great and powerful you are like the tall tree that touched the sky your power reaches to the far parts of the earth King, you saw a holy angel coming down from heaven. He said, cut the tree down and destroy it. Put a band of iron and bronze around the stump and leave the stump and its roots in the ground. Leave it in the grass of the field. It will become wet with dew. He will live like a wild animal. Seven seasons will pass while he is like this. King, this is the meaning of the dream. God Most High has commanded these things to happen to my Lord the King King Nebuchadnezzar, you will be forced to go away from the people. You will live among the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle, and you will become wet like with dew. Seven seasons will pass, and you will learn this lesson. You will learn God most high rules over human kingdoms and gives them to whoever he wants. The command to leave the stump of the tree and its roots in the ground means this. Your kingdom will be given back to you. This will happen when you learn that the most high God rules your kingdom. So, King, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Stop doing bad things and be kind to the poor. Then you might continue to be successful. All these things happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months after the dream. Well, that's fine. We can stop there. But the point, though, is this. King Nebuchadnezzar was that tree. And a tree is representative of a kingdom. And... There's another passage, and I won't turn there, but it talks about in the dream that the birds of the air begin to flock to this tree in the book of Daniel. And the birds of the air, you know, represent life. In other words, it takes refuge under this, under this shelter, right? So now if we go back to Matthew chapter 13, if you want to read it there in the chat, what does it say the kingdom of heaven is like? It is the smallest. And so in the first century, when the gospel was being published in a small region, it was the smallest of all kingdoms. But what happened? It began to become propagated and published more and further and further and further. First from the Jews, then to Europe. And then it didn't come to... Notice how long it had taken to come to America. The 1700s, the 1600s. And it had taken that long for it to come to America. So the kingdom of God had not yet reached America until the 1600s. So what does that tell you? That it had taken a long time for it to grow and expand and expand just to this continent. But guess what? There are still places the kingdom of God must arrive to. And we see here it says this in Matthew chapter 13 once again. It says, Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Just like Nebuchadnezzar had a tree, which is a kingdom, there's a tree of the kingdom of heaven. And this becomes the largest and most expansive. <clears throat> 
right? Or am I am I preaching some uh, false doctrine here? Or is this is I'm I'm citing the scripture so we know that God's word supports this. This this is this is God's design. This is God's intention. Well, now let let's tattoo this on the earth. <laughs> so Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Now you might be thinking, well, how? What does this have to do with anything? <clears throat> well. Again, Jesus wants the full rewards of his sufferings. <clears throat> Jesus wants the full rewards of his suffering. What purpose would there be to preach the gospel if it wasn't to advance his kingdom? Look, it, I'm going to prove it in the New Testament because you might think, well, those are just Old Testament scriptures and you know we a lot of people I don't really understand the Old Testament that well and where is that in the mouth of Jesus you know so Matthew chapter 28 actually beginning at verse 16 it says then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go but when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted then Jesus came to them and said, Now take careful note of this. All authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know when he's saying this? Let me ask this question. Okay, so it's after his resurrection, right? So this, isn't, this is no longer the suffering servant. This is the risen Christ. What does that imply? He destroyed he destroyed hell and the grave. He conquered the hell, he conquered hell and the grave, right? Or no? So Jesus conquers hell and the grave. He's resurrected. He's in power. What does he say? Now all have all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What did, what would that imply? That it was not his before. If it had been given, that would imply there was a time before it was given to him. I wouldn't say, uh, you know, this coffee was given to me, but really, I always had it. That that would make no sense to say, I've always had this coffee, but nevertheless, it was given to me today. It doesn't make sense. So what it means, if I said I was given this coffee today, that would imply that there was a time at which I did not have it. So there was a time in which Jesus didn't have authority over the earth. But it was given to him. 
right? After the resurrection. Now notice what he says. Take careful note. <clears throat> Verse 19. Therefore, what is the therefore there for? <laughs> you, every time you see a therefore, you have to ask why it's therefore. It's a transitionary term. So, authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. Therefore, in other words, because of this, it equals this. Or because of this, um, this is the grounds and this is the consequence. Okay, if, if I were to say, um, I am very fast, therefore I won the race. So, the winning the race, my being fast is the reason for why I run the race, ran the race and won it. Jesus has authority, and that is the reason. And 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 this next re this next this next uh, um, command. This next command hinges upon this reality. So he says, "Go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you see there that the great commission, namely go make disciples, preach the gospel and we see that Mark 16 parallels with Math, in Mark 16, where, where he sends out the disciples, says, you know, those who believe in my name, they shall speak in other tongues, cast out devils, and so on and so forth. Right? This is parallel to Matthew 28, 19. But here he's saying, go baptize them, teach them, preach the gospel. And, and Mark 16 gives further description, cast out demons and do all this stuff. Why? Because authority has been given to Jesus on earth. So for the reason why you need to be doing this is because Jesus has authority. And because Jesus has authority, guess who he gives authority to? To us. To continue to extend his kingdom. Right? Let let me let me show this. Let me prove it to you even further. Turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 20. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. <clears throat> the word of the Lord reads this. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke chapter 11 verse 20. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So, now, turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> And after Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went out from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, 
he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So in other words, he's asking about the Messiah. What does the Messiah mean? It means that he's a king that will reign. So he could have said, Are you the teacher? He could have asked, Are you the teacher? Are you the prophet? Are you the apostle? But so John has in mind, the Messiah is sent and will come to do a specific thing. And that is to set up a kingdom and to destroy the enemies of God. That is what was expected of the Messiah. But since the Messiah isn't coming in the way that the Jews are expecting, through sword and chariot, they're wondering, are you the Messiah? Right? And this is what Jesus said, verse 4. Go back and report, and Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, or in other words, the gospel, is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, man, this isn't this sort of fire down from heaven, chariots, destroying God's enemies with the sword, sort of David-like military and conquering. So what is Jesus teaching us? That he was in fact the Messiah. But the Messiah will conquer not through physical sword, but through casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, and proclaiming the gospel to the poor. That is how we conquer. Or am I lying? Or is, is Jesus lying? Is the Bible lying? Who's lying here? And one other one. Matthew chapter 10 verses 7, 7 and 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So in other words, guess who we're serving an eviction notice on? Demons. Luke chapter 11 verse 20, if I by the finger of God drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in other words, the way that the kingdom of God is manifested is through the eviction of demons. Saying you gotta go, leave. Another manifestation of the kingdom of God that has come upon us is that the gospel is preached to the poor. And the and people are healed. And, and we can add in addition to this that prophetic words or words of knowledge are given so that they see a demonstration of God's kingdom. But it is a spiritual kingdom. And those who are not born again, according to John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, will not be able to see this kingdom. Do you see that? <clears throat> this is why I say that cessationists cannot bring the kingdom. Because they are not walking in power. Are those the... There is a very, very small tribe of Calvinists that actually flow in the gifts. But... Paul Washer? Uh, Paul Washer, he... 
<laughs> okay, so here's the scale. This is all Calvinism here. You have guys like Justin Peters and John MacArthur that are blasphemers. They will literally blaspheme the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are militant and hostile to everything charismatic. Anything Pentecostal, they, they despise it. Okay, now then you have those who aren't so hostile, but will say, look, they will be sincere about it and say, we don't believe the Bible teaches this. We believe they have seized, but let's just be very gracious in our approach toward those who believe this way. Then you have guys like Paul Washer who say, I don't know. Um, but I believe God can do some pretty miraculous things, but I am not sure. Then you have guys like John Piper who believe in the gifts, but who don't function in them. And then you guys have like Sam Storms who believe in the gifts, who function in them, but are nevertheless Calvinists. But they are so small in number that they're not even close to representing Calvinism um, as a whole. Um, but as as we see, let, let me... Uh, let me <clears throat> Um, go to one other passage. It's in Second Corinthians chapter ten. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter ten, verse four. We'll, we'll be coming to a close here. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse four. For though we live in the world, we do not wage as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So in other words, we have power to demolish strongholds. We have power to cast out demons. We have power to prophesy. We have power to heal the sick. We have power to proclaim the gospel. Verse 5. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought cap, uh, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, what do we see here? That we have weaponry. We have power. We are soldiers. Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God. Right? Right? And so it is through this military conquest by the power that has been given to us because of the messianic reign of Christ. Christ is reigning. He's reigning today as a king. The Bible says in Hebrews, all things have been placed underneath his feet. The last enemy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is death. That is the last enemy the Bible says, needs to be placed underneath his feet. Then at that time, we shall receive our resurrected bodies. But do not be mistaken. Today, at the present, there are enemies placed underneath his feet. But we do not see everything placed underneath his feet, as the writer of Hebrews says. Why? Because there's still one last enemy and it's death. But right now, the kingdom of darkness is as a dragon with its head cut off. It has lost its ultimate power and we and we it, it's still moving though it's still active it's still wagging its tail 
And what we need to do as the church of Jesus Christ in order to see the kingdom of God manifest like that tree we've read about in Matthew chapter 13 is that we need to go out, evict demons, make disciples that can make disciples. And we preach the gospel. And we just continue to do this again and again and again. So that we keep, as a battering ram, taking blows to the kingdom of darkness. So now how this relates to the evangelistic office is that through the through the through evangelism we accomplish that. Let let me you know in fact let me I know that we're reading a lot of scriptures but the reason for this is it provides what's called coherence. Because you can take a, a Bible verse and not know what it relates to or connects to. But if I provide these bib, these Bible verses, the Bible verse here, Bible verse there, Bible verse here, and I string them together and I say, hey, look, this is the picture. These are all the puzzle pieces and this is how you put them together. This is the picture it provides for us. And if we don't have that picture, how can we navigate purposefully in life or through our callings? So, if you want to turn to the book of Acts, and I want to give you a description of what it looks like to be an evangelist. It's uh, Acts. Hold on, let me see. I can quote Bible verses. I just, a lot of times I don't know where it's at. Uh, it's, hold on. Okay, so it's Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts, the 8th chapter. So now look at... Are you guys there? I hope you guys aren't bogged down or the word of the Lord isn't grievous. <clears throat> um, Acts chapter 8. Well, we'll begin at verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. On, the day, on that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Remember in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Jesus says, go into the uttermost parts of the world. At the first, Jesus says, don't go anywhere except to the Jews. Right? Remember that in his earthly ministry? Don't go anywhere except to the Jews. But what happened was, when he resurrected, he, he said, go to the Gentiles now. Go to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But guess what happened? They didn't do that. When power came upon them, in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, they stayed at Jerusalem. 
And it wasn't until the 8th chapter here in the book of Acts that persecution broke out. And as a consequence of that, it says all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. And so a lot of the men and women began to take heed to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and said, you know what? We need to begin to, since persecution broke out, we're running for our lives. We might as well go to these other, other parts of the world that Jesus had intended for us to go to. Okay, now look at in verse 4, one of the men who actually obeyed was Philip in the book of Samaria, uh, the, the, the book of Acts, but located here in Samaria is where his uh, ministry had received a lot of success. Verse 4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. So what what do we see there? When we perform signs, people begin to pay attention. So when you when you share a word of knowledge or you prophesy or you cast out a demon or you pray for someone's injury and they get healed, they begin to pay attention to these things. It says, verse 7, For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Amen? And the reason why, the reason, and you might say, well, um, hold on. I wanted to... <clears throat> Let me see. We know Philip was an evangelist because I believe it's in the 28th chapter. Um, hold on. Yeah, it's uh, not 28th. I'm sorry, 21st, verse 8. Acts chapter... You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Um, the word of the Lord reads... We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in... Uh, no, that's verse 7. Leaving the next day, we reached uh, Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who, who prophesied. And so Acts chapter 21, verse 8, says very clearly that the same Philip in the 8th chapter is an evangelist. So what do we see the description of what evangelists do? They go to cities, the joy of the Lord reaches that city because the demons are cast out and signs are performed and the gospel is preached. So that is how we advance the kingdom of God. That is what it says in Matthew chapter 28, 19 to, for the great commission, baptizing, making disciples, casting out demons, right? And this is all to fulfill these Old Testament prophecies in Psalm, Haggai, Daniel, that the Lord will establish and expand an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. 